The title of this morning's message is Shacked Up. Shacked Up is the title of this morning's message. I know I, some of your eyes are like, oh Lord, what is he fixing to talk about? We're fixing to get into some good stuff. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says this, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired. He will not grow weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope or wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will soar. Everybody say soar. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God, we receive those promises right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And if you agree with that, give God a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. You can be seated this morning. And as we kick this series off and this message off this morning, I'm going to go ahead and tell you there is a ton of Scripture in this message this morning. So you're going to be flip-flopping all through your Bible, and I don't want to hear you complaining about it because when you go to a buffet line, you never complain that there's too much food on the buffet, okay? Amen. God's word is a buffet line. You better get filled up on it and then put some in a to-go box and pack it up and bring it home with you. Amen. And so we're going to talk about one of the most important things this morning as with the title of this morning's message is shacked up. We're going to begin to talk about covenants and our whole theme throughout this series is eagles. And we know that eagles can do this. They can soar at an altitude of over 10,000 feet. They can fly up to 65 miles an hour. They can weigh up to 14 pounds. They can carry up to four pounds in their claws. And they are amazing creatures. And God and throughout the Bible has likened us to the eagle as we just read that scripture. And so one of the key points this morning that I want to talk about in eagles is when eagles um, connect, they mate for life. When they have a, a spouse bird, I guess you could say, they are with that bird for life until the other bird passes away. Sounds kind of familiar, shouldn't it? Come on, give me an amen on that. I'm talking about your marriage, okay? When you get married, you should be married, and we want you to be married for the rest of your life in covenant amen. with this person that you decided to be in covenant with until one of you goes to be with the Lord in heaven, and then your covenant is only broken by death. And so as the, as the male birds and the female birds begin to link up and they begin to mate, they are they are covenant partners for life. And you need to enter your marriage relationship in a covenant partner relationship. That Just as we talked about earlier, that um, everything that she has is yours and everything that you have is hers. And we can move forward and know that we share everything. And that goes even into the spirit part of your relationship, your spiritual side, your, your worship side. Y'all need to begin to worship and pray and do things together. And, and watch how God begins to move in your life. And so as we talk about this, one of the most amazing things is that when they mate, they mate for life, but also when they reproduce, they reproduce in the air. Some of you guys are like, oh Lord. So when birds reproduce, they reproduce in the air, and I will talk about that this morning for a little bit, amen? And so I want to read you a scripture out of the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, verses um, uh, 21 through 32. And this is a very common verse of scripture, and as we talk about covenants this morning, the word covenant literally means this. It means a cutting. Have you ever heard the old school term, they cut covenant? 
If you've heard that term, it literally means a cutting where if humans do it, a lot of times they would cut their hands or they would cut this part of their wrist and they would lock hands like this and they would exchange blood saying they exchanged the, the covenant. They cut covenant together. When, they were, when Abram made a covenant with God, we'll get into this in a little bit in Genesis 15, that he cut animals down the middle and many times when you would enter a covenant with another human being, um, if two families were to come into covenant with one another, such as one was a farming family and one was a, a, a warrior family or a tribe, they would begin to exchange covenant that this uh, tribe over here or family would supply food for them but this family over here would protect them and they would cut animals down the middle and both partners would walk through the blood together and they would say now and it was symbolic of them being cut in covenant together and so the word covenant literally means uh, a primary of cutting and in the biblical term it literally means to come into covenant with two parties together and so Ephesians 5 21 through 32 it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And all the men are sitting here saying, finally. And all the women are like, I do not submit to him. But listen, husbands, when you give your wife something to submit to, come on. When you give your wife something to submit to, I do believe they will willfully submit because this is how you're supposed to treat your wives. Husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All the women say amen. amen. And that doesn't mean you're willing to die for her. It means every breath you take, you're living for her. Did you get that? It doesn't mean you'll die for her. It means every breath you take, you're willing to live for her. And as you're living for her, if you die in the process of living for her, that's the only way you can truly die for something. A lot of people say, I would die for Jesus. You can't die for something you haven't lived for. And so if you're going to die for Jesus, you better start truly living for him first. And it says, husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, guys, it's the job of you to bring your family before God and present them before God like this as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless before God. That's how we are to present our families to him. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed it, and all the men said amen. <laughs> they care for it, all the men said amen, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united or come in covenant with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But here's the key to this whole thing. He says, I speak of a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul had to make this reference between husband and wife because it's the only, it's not the only, it is the most powerful covenant under the Christian body that Paul had, could liken it to to show this is how your relationship with Christ is truly supposed to be when you come into covenant. It's just like when you get married, you're supposed to take care of the other one. You're supposed to meet the needs of the other one. You're supposed to live for the other one. And so the definition that we're going to give and use as, uh, for covenant this morning is, is literally this. Covenant is the giving of one's life, all you possess, all you own, and all you are, for life. The giving of one's life, for life. So if it's the giving of one's life, for life, we must begin to study what covenants truly are. And just as uh, the eagles mate and they mate for life, they begin to give of their life 
for the other and they begin to reproduce and they begin to, to flourish. The body of Christ is supposed to do the same thing. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the, the first covenant that, that God made um, that wasn't a sin atonement covenant. It was a faith covenant that the Bible says is an everlasting covenant. So even though we're in the new covenant, this covenant is still going on in the new covenant. And he established this covenant with Abram. So in your Bible, if you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to camp out here for probably the next 20 minutes or so, and we're going to find out what true covenant really is as we move forward. And if we want to be all that we're called to be in the body of Christ, we must begin to soar, but you're not going to begin to soar unless you know the details of your covenant that you're in, your covenant rights, your covenant um, blessings that you're in. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, I am your shield, your very great reward, God said to Abram. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, a member of my household that should be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. You, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it unto him or credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and so God credited it to him as righteousness so faith or believing in God is how we obtain righteousness not by our own works or by our own things and so when God begins to talk about right here he begins to do the very first thing he begins to outline the details of the covenant that Abram's going into and God says this is who I am to you Abram I am your shield I am your reward now this is so much better than God saying I'll give you a shield and I'll give you a reward amen It's so much better than that because God is truly our reward. And that means if we're in covenant with God, everything that heaven has to offer is accessible to us. But everything that God needs, we got to supply it to him. So when we do this, and in your marriage relationship, you took vows of the covenant. What you would do, what you would stand by. And many of you, you remember your vows because those are conditions of the covenant. I will love you until death do us part, many of you said. And so those are conditions of the vows that you begin to make. And so when God began to say this, he said, I am your shield. And we must begin to celebrate because we know that if God is our shield and we are in covenant with God, that means no weapon formed against us can prosper, amen. What that really means, it doesn't mean weapons aren't formed. It means it doesn't matter what's formed, it's going to prosper against you. So if you see something forming, don't freak out and run because you just know now that God is my shield. Now, some of y'all need to grab a hold of that because some of you guys have been going through battles wondering why you're getting beat up because you never knew the, the conditions of the covenant that you're in. And God said, I am your shield. I'm your shield. I'm your shield against the financial things. I'm a shield against the sickness things. I'm your shield against the poverty things. I'm your shield against the marriage problem things. I am your shield. I am your protector, he says. Then he goes on to say, I am your very great reward, the Bible says. Now, I want to focus on that word reward for a minute. And re, when you put it in front of the word, it means to do again. Like when you hit rewind on the television remote, what you're doing. You want to watch it again. If it's a resource, it is a something that comes from a source that you're using. And so if God is our reward, 
that means he goes back to what he decided to do and begins to bless us on his conditions, not on our own righteousness. Amen? That's a good thing right there. If God is our resource, it means whatever he's bringing you is just a product of him, and he's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So quit looking for resources when you got the source. And if we got the source, why are we always begging God for a resource? I don't want used stuff anyway. I want God to bring it new. I don't want an old version of church. I want God to have a fresh pouring of his spirit on this church. Amen? I don't want to wish for what was going on in church 50 years ago because a 50-year-old church isn't going to be much effective in the year 2015. I want a new fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't want a resource. I want it to come from the source and trust him for my resources. And so when he began to talk to, to Abram, he said, I am your reward. And so we must go back to the beginning, the place of origin. God says, I am yours, everything that you need. I'm your very great Reward. And so as he goes on, he lists out the terms of that covenant. And verse 7 goes on to say, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to possess it. But he said, O Lord God, how shall I know I am to possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these and cut them in half and laid them half over against the, the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram began to drive them away. And so the first thing I'm going to highlight on this is you must begin to protect your covenant. When birds of prey begin to come, you must begin to protect your covenant. Amen. When throughout the Bible, he, birds are usually an illustration of, of something negative, of something bad. And so when the birds of prey would come to attack the covenant that God was making, he protected the covenant that was being made. He drove them away. In your marriage, the Bible says what God has joined together, don't let man put it asunder. That means protect your marriage, even from yourself. Come on. Protect it. Be a guardian of it. And so why would God say, bring me a heifer, a female goat, some versions say a she-goat, and a ram, each three years old, and then a turtle dove and a pigeon? Well, these were conditions of the covenant, but there's something way more significant than that. By the cutting the animals in half, blood was shed, and the covenant was about to be made. And when two people made a covenant, as I said, they would walk through the blood. But at the age of three years old, most animals are considered to be in the prime or the peak or the strength of their life. At the age of three, most animals should be at the peak or the prime condition of their life. So God says, I am going to meet you in this covenant at the prime condition of me. I'm going to give you the very best that I have. I'm going to show you the very best that I can offer, Abram. You just got to continue to believe. And he said, bring me a heifer. And it says, a heifer, a goat, and a ram. These three animals right here um, indicate the three main covenants of the Old Testament. The heifer represents the covenant we're about to talk about, the covenant of Abram. We'll get into it in just a minute. The, the she-goat represents the, the Old Testament that went into effect with the law of Moses that took place. And the, and the ram uh, represents the new covenant that we are presently living in this day. And Abram was about to experience this in the next couple chapters because do you remember when he went up to the top of the mountain and was supposed to sacrifice his son, God said, don't sacrifice. And he looked over and he saw a what in the thicket? 
a ram. We all know that was representative of Jesus Christ. And so in this same scenario, this is all representative of the Abrahamic covenant, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant or the New Testament that we live in to this day. And so when we begin to talk about the heifer, the heifer was three years old, and this was symbolic of God's covenant to Abraham. A covenant based on faith and obedience. Now here's the thing. It was based on faith and obedience. God said, Abram... If you go, or he said, go and I'll take you to a place that I will show you. If Abraham didn't go, the covenant would be broken. And I, I, gotta, I gotta say this because a lot of people in there in marriage counseling sit in my office and they say, Joel, does God like divorce? Or what does God think about divorce? And I always have to bring this up. Divorce isn't the problem right now. The problem is you broke your covenant 10 years ago and you've continually broke it throughout your marriage. And this is more than just um, adultery things. When you quit loving her like Christ loved the church or, or you don't do the things that Christ does for each other and submit yourselves to one another, you've broken covenant. And so a lot of people who don't have adulterous situations that are struggling about getting a divorce, they literally say, Joel, what does God think about divorce? And the Bible does say God hates divorce. The problem is not divorcing the spouse. The problem is you broke your covenant a long time ago and you've continued to walk in a broken covenant for so long, you finally just say, let's just separate ways. And so the problem with relationships is not divorce. The problem is we broke our covenant way back here and we kept operating in a broken covenant. Listen, men, this is why when you break your covenant with your wife and you do something horrendous, like when you go home and, and you kick the dog and you yell at the kids and you tell, honey, I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> You're breaking covenant. The two have become one. You share the burdens alike. Okay? And this is why when men know they've messed up, they go buy flowers and cards and chocolate because they make amends. You don't even know what you're doing. You're trying to make amends to restore the covenant. When covenants were broken back even in the tribal days, to make a, if a side would break their covenant, they would have to bring a gift to the other side and reestablish the covenant. And it would be giving of the very best thing that you have. And so many times the, the tribe of one, uh, uh, or the chief of one tribe would give their daughter to the other tribe because it was the very best the kingdom this tribe had to offer. And so in this process, you must begin to restore the covenant that you're in. And the covenant would be carried, this covenant with the heifer would be carried into the New Testament uh, as well, which is foreshadowed by a red heifer symbolizing the blood of Jesus Christ. So the Abrahamic covenant that he was in is, is notated by this cow that they, or this heifer that they would cut down the middle, lay the sides opposite each other, and they begin to walk through. The next thing it talks about, it was the, it was the goat or the she-goat. This is the second covenant. This is, symbolizes the Mosaic covenant or the law that we like to refer to it as. And the, the, the good thing about this one is it was a female goat and then it was a male ram showing that after this covenant, part of the covenant was, was laid aside and they walked through it, there would be an ending to this one because of the female nature of it as they stepped into the male nature of the new one in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so when he walked into the next one, the ram, he would walk through the blood of a lamb. And now get this. He said, I want you to also bring a turtle dove, and I want you to bring a pigeon. But he said, don't cut those in half. Why would he say, don't cut those in half? I mean, there's been some theologians who gave a cheap excuse of this, saying, um, well, they, I guess they just couldn't be accurate enough when they cut a small bird in half, so they just didn't do it, and God said do it. And I was like, that is the most lame answer I've ever heard in my life. If God is about to tell the Israelites to cut covenant of circumcision with a rock, 
You don't think they could cut a bird in half? I'm just saying. Some of y'all will get what I'm saying in a minute. And so that was not the reason. The thing about it is, he said, we got the Abrahamic covenant. We got in the heifer, we got the the covenant of the the she-goat in the Old Testament. Now we got the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the ram, the spotless lamb of God. And then we have a turtle dove, and then we have a pigeon that weren't separated. What does the dove represent in the New Testament? And Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, and what lighted on him as a dove? The Holy Spirit. What this means literally is we're, now that the ram was separated, we're in this covenant, but the, the, the turtle dove and the, and the pigeon are not separated, so that means they're a part of this covenant here. The turtle dove literally represents the Holy Spirit that would come after Jesus. The pigeon was known as the carrier pigeon, which is our part of the covenant, and we are to carry the gospel as the carrier pigeon out into the whole world. So in this Abrahamic covenant that God established a long time ago in the book of Genesis, he already had it laid out, literally laid out all the covenants that he would need to redeem you and me, a lost and dying soul, back to himself. He said, I'm going to start with the Abrahamic covenant, and it's going to be an everlasting covenant. He had to say everlasting. He said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. So he said, with this covenant, I can start an everlasting covenant with mankind and we'll walk through the blood of the heifer. We'll walk through the blood of the Old Testament. We'll walk through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament. I then can give them the power of the Holy Spirit and they can go back and tell the whole world about Jesus Christ who is redeeming them back to God the Father Almighty through this one covenant that God started. Now that's good stuff. And so when you read about a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and a bird, and a duh, don't get bored with it. There's something special about that. And if we're talking about that kind of covenant, an everlasting covenant that will last for an eternity that you and me can get in on, it's time that we quit thinking Christianity is something we can shack up with as a good idea, and we enter into a covenant that says, Jesus, I'm here for life, baby. Because most people enter their Christian walk with the mentality of, I'll shack up with Jesus because it's a good idea so I don't go to hell. And we never really wanted to enter into a covenant. It's time that we don't shack up any longer. When the eagles mate, they mate for life. When you came into covenant with God Almighty, you came into covenant for life. And if you didn't, you better come back and you better establish the covenant in your life. Because it's available. This is how many people say, well, I, did, I feel like I lost my salvation. You never really got into covenant. Because when me and my wife got married, there was no doubt that we got married. There was no question about it. I didn't wake up six months later. Did I really do that? Did I really go get married? Did we go to Hawaii on a honeymoon? There was no question about it. There should be no question about it when you enter covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when I entered into covenant with Jesus Christ, everything became different. He moved in and some stuff started moving out. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And literally, uh, men, the best thing you can do is let your wife move some stuff out. Right? You don't need Michael Jordan hanging above your bedpost. Amen. Right? When she moved in, my sporting goods went to the garage. And that's a good thing. Our house is a lot better when she decorates. Our house is a lot better when she says, I like this here. I'm like, you know, you, you did good. <laughs> Amen. So start, start letting them move some stuff out. And men, be the muscle in your relationship. When your wife needs a couch move, she shouldn't have to call a handyman. Amen. Be the muscle in your relationship, spiritually also. Be the muscle in it. I mean, be the one who works it out. Be the one when your kid's not feeling good. Mama shouldn't have to go pray for your kid. You should go pray for your kid. 
Lay your hands on them. Bless them. They need a blessing from their dad. We wouldn't have so many parent issues if we would just lay our hands on our kids and pray for them. There are the most frustrating time at our household, and we do have these moments, is when we are getting Caleb and Aaron ready for bed. The fits, the fits start happening, baby. They start throwing them. And there's a reason I pray over my kids every night before I go to bed, because I always start my prayer out like this. Daddy loves you always and forever, no matter what. And I got to say that in the midst of being the most frustrating time of the day. It's not a reminder for them. It's a reminder for me that they're my babies, and I love them always and forever, no matter what. And the day's coming, and I'm already seeing it happen, and I don't even like it when they're not going to need Daddy to tuck them in. And I don't like that idea because I like my boys. I want to freeze time right about now. They're perfect. And so in this, men start being the muscle in your relationship, in this covenant. And watch what God begins to do. And so we're going to continue to roll on through this now that we know that the the Abrahamic covenant started. And he went through the Abrahamic covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is yours and you need it. I'm not going to make any bones about that. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need him in your life. And though then it's your job to be the one who spreads the gospel around the world. And we're going to move through those covenants, and we're going to begin to live and operate in those covenants. And the covenant, as we said, it's the giving of one's life for life. It's the giving of one's life for life is what covenant means. And so how does this relate to us in Jesus? Hebrews 8, 6 says this, But in fact, the ministry Jesus received is as superior to theirs as the covenant in which he is the mediator of, and he is superior to the old one. So the ministry Jesus has now in heaven praying for us, is superior to the one he had on the earth. And just as superior as he is to the old covenant. Jesus in the new covenant is superior to the old covenant, and it is based on new and better promises. What's that new and better promise? It's the Holy Spirit. That one person didn't have to just hear about Jesus. We all get to talk to God and have direct line connection with him. Amen? You don't need your pastor to pray for you. You don't know how to pray for yourself? Start praying in your prayer language. Get, Get God moving in your life. Some of you, if you just spend some time praying, instead of asking me to pray, you would hear from God. Come on. And if you have a question about it, you can call and say, hey, God spoke this to me. Can can you just pray about this with me and confirm it? And yes, I'll be happy to do that. But I'm not going to be your priest. Jesus is the one who died for you to have a relationship with God. And we want to continue to live like the Old Testament and have a relationship with God through a preacher. Joel hears from God and tells the church, no, you hear from God and you get you a vision and a mission for your life. Come on. Start rocking this thing out. And so he is the one who is superior in this covenant, and he's better than the old one since the new covenant establishes on better promises. And if covenants are the giving of one life for life, this is where the the covenant truly began. We start our Bible in the New Testament at at the beginning of Jesus' birth. But the New Testament, the, the new covenant didn't start there. The new covenant started at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not even at his death. His death and the shedding of his blood was the cutting of the covenant with man. Now listen, back up in that uh, section we were just talking about with Abraham, with Abram, which his name then got turned to Abraham, it talks about a little bit farther down in that scripture, it says when he got all the sacrifices ready, God put Abram into a deep sleep and a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch walked through the sacrifice together. 
The smoking fire pot represents God Almighty. The blazing torch represents Jesus Christ. So back in the Old Testament, God cut covenant with his son in the Abrahamic covenant so me and you could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ thousands of years later when he literally gave his blood on the cross of Calvary and established this new covenant that he already walked through way back here. And so now that God raised him from the dead, if a covenant is the giving of one's life for life, we're a new creation. He was raised again to newness of life, the Bible says. So our covenant begins at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the giving of one's life he gave it for the rest of his life. He's going to live eternally as the great high priest sitting at the right hand of God and we're in covenant for eternity. This one doesn't end, baby. This covenant does not end. That's why God didn't cut it with just the physical man. He cut it with the resurrected Jesus. That Jesus says this even about himself in the the book of Revelation. He goes on to say, oh, don't don't stop me now. There he goes. He goes on to say, I know know Jesus, uh, we know Jesus died, but in Revelation, Jesus begins to declare, I am the living one. He didn't say I, I was the one who died. He said, I am the living one, the giving of one's life for life. I am the living one. You're in covenant with me. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. I am alive forever and ever, and this covenant is eternal in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that's amazing you entered into this with him, the God of all mankind who shed his blood so you could come into covenant with him. Why did he put Abram asleep? Because he knew he couldn't cut a covenant with him with, with normal man and it'd be successful. So he cut covenant with his son back in the book of Genesis as they walked through all these animals. Abraham was asleep. So how did Abram get in on this covenant? The Bible says, and Abram believed God. You get in on this covenant by faith, baby. You start trusting in him. You start giving your life to him because he's already given his life for you. He's got his part of the covenant established. When you say, I'm giving my life for you and I'm going to give it to you, my life for the rest of my life to you, you get in on this covenant by faith. I can just imagine what all of heaven did when God said this, Abraham, you believe me and I count it unto you as righteousness. Heaven probably freaked out. Because that, that, how can that be? Faith equals righteousness. That was a new concept. Everything else before then, God had to cut, kill animals to cover their nakedness in the garden. We learned about it Wednesday. That was an atonement covering, an atonement sacrifice. And God now begins to say, faith equals righteousness. You only become righteous or walk in the righteousness of Christ by your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not works that you can do to earn righteousness. It is a walk of faith that you are in. And as I close this message out this morning, we did talk about this a little bit at the beginning, that when eagles mate, they mate for life, but when they mate, they mate in the air. They reproduce in flight. What happens, y'all are going to go home and YouTube the fire out of this. What happens is they will meet in the air and they will lock claws or talons that they have. Man, those are big old, like they're bigger than my hands, literally. And they'll lock up. And since they can fly at altitude of 10,000 feet, they go into a 10,000 foot free fall. Taking care of business, I'll say it like that. A 10,000 foot free fall, and then as they're getting nearing the ground, they separate and go back up and start all over. 
That's craziness. I mean, that's craziness. In this process, they are the ones who reproduce in extravagant ways. As the body of Christ, there should be some extravagant reproduction as we make non-believers into believers and create disciples to go all around the world. We should have way more incidences like Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 get born again in one day. I'm talking about some fanatical, amazing, elaborate reproduction in the body of Christ where we don't just see people saved. We see people saved, disciples, church planted, and go around the world with the gospel in extravagant and elaborate ways that people can say, surely this is only by the hand of God. We must begin to reproduce as believers. And I'm talking about create more Believers, not converts, people who follow Christ, look like Christ, act like Christ, and live this gospel out. When is the last time you reproduced yourself as a believer in an extravagant way? You led somebody to Jesus in a Walmart parking lot. I'm telling you, 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 were, on the fa- you were in the fast food lane and the, you could see the lady giving you your foods having a bad day and you just begin to lead her to Christ as you're getting your biggie fries and everything else. We must begin to reproduce extravagantly, amazing, in ways that the world says this is only by the hand of God. From the 3,000 that happened at the day of Pentecost, a few days gone by or a week had gone by, a couple weeks maybe had gone by and it says their number had increased to 5,000 and even the pharisaical priesthood was becoming obedient to the faith of Jesus Christ. My question for you this morning is, are you in covenant? Not did you get saved one day at VBS, church camp, kids camp. I understand those are vital and those are amazing things. And and I got saved at a a church camp, so I'm not making light of church camps. But so many times we do the, the mass altar call and 50 kids run to the front and 49 of them get lost in the shuffle. And my concern this morning is, do you know that you are more than saved You are in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. 